Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Yeah! Hey, good morning. Who's seen Masterminds? Anybody? You sinners. Oh, man. Who would ever show this clip in church, man? Such a funny movie. Oh my goodness. Hey, I want to do something a little out of the norm. Would you stand with me just for a moment? Would you just stand for me just for a moment? And I want to pray. And if you agree with this prayer, I just want to invite you to pray with me. And and I don't want this to be a pansy Scandinavian prayer, okay? I want this to be a real prayer. And if you mean it, all we're going to ask is we're going to ask God to do something in our lives. Right now, this morning, I believe that God wants to do something, wants to change you. In fact, a little bit, I want to be able to even pray for you if you want, okay? And so this is the prayer. It's going to go like this. Um, you don't have to say it yet, but if you agree with me, it's going to go, dear God, you have permission to mess me up today. That's all. That's all it's going to be. So if you agree with that, I want you to just shout it, yell it, proclaim it, say it. If you're scared, just say it. If you're like, I'm new here, this freaks me out. You're welcome to. We're just not trying to freak anybody out. But if you believe it, I want you to say it right now with me. Dear Lord. Oh, man. Dear Lord, Lord, you have permission to screw me up and mess me up this morning. That was a messy prayer. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. All right, who has seen this movie? Show me your hands again. I got to see it. Okay, if you have not seen this movie, this is, this is like the SNL cast. It's not the old school awesome cast. It's the newer cast. It's a little risque. It's PG-13. There's some stuff in there. Your pastor shouldn't even ever saw it, but it's a great movie. And uh, don't judge me. Um, some of you saw it too. We're in good, good company here. In the movie, Gant, at the beginning, he is the, the guy who goes out and he steals $17 million. He works at Loomis Fargo, this bank, and he, he's, you see him like loading it into the truck, all this cash, and he takes off with it, and he actually, no joke, he stuffs a bunch into his pants, you know, to get across the border to Mexico, and he flees, and there's a girl that he loves, and, and the girl's chasing after him because she wants to eventually spend all the life with her, but with him, and eventually they hook up in the movie, but here's the coolest part about this, this robbery, this heist. This is actually based on a true story. This is real. SNL decided we're going to make a comedy out of this. And this guy, Gant, he's, you know, seriously, big, second biggest heist in all of our nation ever, in all of history. 17 million. I mean, just think about that. How big was that van? Okay. 17 million dollars. And he takes 27,000 of it in real life and he shoves it into his pants. He actually put panties hose on, pantyhose on, and he shoved his pants full of cash to get across the board. Just try sometime walking with 27 grand around in your pants. How many of you, you would do it? He says, All right, thank you. Thanks for being honest. A few of you are like, I'm not going to say that. He goes down there and he's waiting for the love of his life who helped convince him to do this robbery. And he's waiting on her. And eventually, there's a guy that comes down and actually tries to kill him, tries to take him out. And that's actually part of the real story. As far as the true story goes, that's about it with the SNL version. The rest of it's all humor and fun. But great movie. And you might be like, why in the world are we looking at this? Because today is the second to last um, at the movies. Next week, we're going to end with, with one. Um, and, and today, we're going to go on this, this comedy. I love, anyone love comedies? I just love comedies, man. Sometimes you need a comedy, okay? Like, uh, Good Burger. You seen Good Burger? 
How, how many seen bench warmers? We did bench warmers a few weeks ago. How many of you like Napoleon Dynamite's more your humor? You're sick, man. You're sick. All right. So, so if you need like that movie at the end of the night where you're just like, I need just a stupid movie to watch. For me, it's Friends, sorry. And, and you just put this on and you watch it. It's, it's one of those. It just gets you roaring. It's stupid, fun, slapstick humor. The movie's called Masterminds. And so they come up with this plan, you know, the masterminds behind it. Gant is kind of like the puppet being, you know, puppeteered by the puppet master. Here's my question that I want to ask you. We're going to use this movie as a jump board into what I want to really share this morning, and that's this. What is God's master plan for you? Can you define it? Do you know what it is? Now, we've talked a lot, like purpose. What is the purpose? What has God called me to do? And that's not what I want to go. I want to actually take that and let's, so let's go a little bit on a deeper level. Not just your purpose, but why did God give you a purpose? Why, why would God do that? Why, would, why do we sing about God's love? Why do we, you know, why, why does he even do that? What is his master plan for your life? What does it look like? And so I want to unpack that this morning. Um, for me, I believe it firmly begins at the cross and ends at the cross. That to me is where purpose begins for every single one of us in here. So to get us on the same page, let me explain. Think, think about this for a moment. Um, I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I gave my life to Christ and I started reading the Bible, I hated it because I didn't understand it. I wasn't able to put things into context. And I'd go into churches and some guy would read something and thou this, that, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. And, and finally, I just read the Bible. I looked at it. And what I love to do, and this is my, you know, hopefully challenge to you, is put yourself back in the story. Put yourself there. So just, to, just imagine for a moment, you're one of Jesus' disciples. Now, hopefully if, we've, if we know Jesus, we are one of his disciples. But go back in time. You're here. You're, you're hanging out with Peter. You're hanging out with, with James. You're hanging out with John, Matthew, Mark. You're hanging out with all, the, the whole group, Andrew. They're all there. And, and you're hanging out with them. And Jesus, at the age of 30, calls you out and says, I want you. You have purpose. I'm going to give you purpose. And you're like, you drop everything you do. And you say, I'm going to follow you. And you do that. And then you follow him, you watch him do these miraculous things. You see him raise dead people. You see him heal the blind. You see him you know, do some crazy things. He curses a fig tree, it dies. He spits into his hand, rubs mud on some guy's eye, and he can see. You're watching all this over and over for three years. Three years comes, and all of a sudden, one of your buddies named Judas is an idiot and says, we're going to hand him over. And he hands him over to the empire, hands him over to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate says, it's not on my hands you know, they said, hey, we could release somebody else, but man, we're going to keep Jesus. And you're there as a disciple going, isn't this the son of God? Can't he just like get out from here? Why does he have to go through this? And you're watching the whole thing happening. And you're going, what, what is happening? And all of a sudden you see Jesus, you see him, you know, a lot of stuff has happened. We're just fast forward with me. You are there somewhere either watching or hearing about it. And you hear your good friend, not just God in whom we serve, but you hear your good friend is nailed to this cross. They lift the cross up. They put it into a ground and you're watching him bleed. You're seeing them offer him something to drink and he's sitting there and you're watching this and you're going, what is going on? This is the God who I'm serving. And you're wondering in the back of your mind, come on with me. Somebody's going, was he really God? He could have saved himself. Was he really God? And some of us are going, maybe he was. I'm just going to trust him. It doesn't make sense to me. Put yourself in those disciples. Those three days must have been torture going, the God in whom we serve that we thought was actually God manifest in the flesh just died on a cross. That'd be like us lethal injecting somebody and coming back to life three days later in our society today. So he does this. And imagine you're one of the disciples. Master plan, it begins with the cross, it ends with the cross. 
You watch this take place, no matter where you're at. And Jesus bows his head, and he says the most infamous three words, it is what? Finished. It's finished. What did that mean? Well, John chapter 19, verse 30. It said, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Now, Derek, our associate pastor, he was in Israel here a few months ago. When he was in Israel, he knows where this is at, the place of Golgotha, the place called the Skull. It's just outside of Jerusalem. It's just outside the walls of Jerusalem where Jesus died on the cross. Well, in this area, anyone from Jerusalem could have walked there easily, easy walk to get there. And so there's probably a lot of people there. Have you ever wondered who was there? I like to know, like, what's going on in these stories? I want to figure it out. I want to know, like, I wish I could get my DeLorean, go back in time and just see what was happening, all right? So that's what we're doing, just a little bit. And so there's four accounts of Jesus' death and resurrection in what's called our New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in these books, they all have different accounts of how they responded and how they received what Christ did. And so the first two that I want to talk about, Matthew and Mark, they said who was there. This is their account. They said there was Roman officials, there were soldiers, Jewish officials, there was a passerby. We don't know who that is. And then there was the two other men being crucified on the cross, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, if you read these other accounts, which we will, there's a law that allowed women to be there at this time. Guys could not because they were afraid the guys were going to get all warrior-like and come in and, you know, that Jesus was their friend. They were going to take him off the cross. So they were scared to death this was going to happen. The law allowed for women to actually come in and be there at the foot of the cross to watch the crucifixion and actually be there. That's why we see these accounts. The second account is in Luke. says some watch from a distance. We don't have names. We don't know who that is. We can guess, but we, we don't know. And then John's is really different. The Gospel of John, he says there were several women and one disciple near the cross. Most scholars say it was most likely John because John says in his uh, gospel account a lot that he was the one in whom Jesus loved. The disciples, in either case, they either are watching, they're hiding, you know, I picture them like hiding behind a bush or a brick wall. We don't know for sure. We don't know where they were at at that time. Or they eventually heard about Jesus' death. So imagine you're them. Imagine you're with them. What are, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Like, what's going through your mind? Are you like, everything I just believed in? It, it would be like, you know, I've cashed in my chips, man. I've pulled the, the trigger on giving my life for Christ. If Christ isn't real, then what I do for a living is not void. But that doesn't matter. I've, I've given in. The disciples were just like that. They gave in. They said, man, I'm going to follow you with everything I have. And then, you know, Jesus dies in front of them. For those three days, man, I think that would have been torture. But Jesus did it. Why did he do it? He did it for two reasons. To took our, he take our sin and then our pain. We talk about our sin a lot. I want to talk about our pain. God took our pain on him. Why? Why? If you look at this, if Jesus would have stopped right there, you know, he was resurrected later. We celebrate that on Easter, Resurrection Sunday. The story's incredible. But why did he train these disciples? Because he loved them and he wanted to see the church expand. He wanted to see incredible things happen. But those disciples had purpose. God wanted them to live out loud their faith. I believe God has a master plan for you. God wants us to live out loud, okay? He doesn't want us to have to be all worried or shame-based or, man, what are people going to think about me at the church? Dude, you're at the bridge, man. We think the world of every person here, okay? 
And if we don't, then I don't know what church you're at because this is who we are. I want you to know that. I want you to get that today. I want you to realize we don't care who you slept with last night. You're welcome here. We don't care what you did this week. You're welcome. We don't care about that. What we care is for you to receive what God wants you to receive today. And so there's three things that I believe God has as far as a plan goes for your life. So the first one is this. Everybody say hope. Hope. Come on, everybody say it with me. Hope. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Man, come on, who needs some renewal of their strength today? Nobody. It's like all of us, come on, we all need that renewal of our strength. It goes on, it says, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Some of you have heard this verse before. I remember the first time I heard this verse, I had an eagle on my desk, and, and I just, I, I remember thinking about it. Oh man, how awesome the eagle is. It's sore and it's just renewing its strength. You know that this verse actually has a whole different meaning than I ever realized. If you study Jewish law and Jewish custom, what it actually is talking about is an old Jewish um, belief that they held. And the Jewish belief was that the eagle would actually fly so high towards the sun that it would actually get up and the sun would actually burn its feathers off, completely off, and the eagle would then plummet into the ocean, and the ocean was living water that would give that eagle new feathers and new life, completely resurrected. That's what they believed when they wrote this. It's crazy, huh? It was eye-opening to me going, what God wants is he so wants, he doesn't want you to have to go, man, I gotta just keep going. I'm into my dead-end job. I'm in this, you know, I'm trying to make my marriage work. I'm trying to figure this out. I got teenagers, I, you know, Lord help. And he's going, I'll renew it, I'll renew it. Are you willing to give it to me so I can resurrect it? That's hope, that's hope. I think I look at it as a child expects a parent to take care, take care of him or her. That's how we are to rely on God. He wants us to rely on him like a child. Like God, I'm willing for you to just take care of me. Just do it. Let me give you an acronym from hope here. I really like it. I'll put it up on the screen. Hold on pain ends. How many of you ever experienced, you don't have to raise your hand, it's all of us, but ever experienced something painful in life? Most of us. We've all walked through pain. We've all walked through those times where we're going, I just don't know how to get this to work. I, I, my wife and I, we're not on the same page. I can't, I can't figure this out. We're going, man, I, I don't know how to get through one day to the next. There's hope. There's hope. You know, hope continues to drive what we do as as a church body. Hope, I am hopeful that my kids will someday all, you know, later on in life, all serve Jesus. That's my hope. That's my biggest concern being a pastor, to be honest with you. That's my biggest concern. I hope that they do that. I hope with everything in me that their heart is not about, you know, me being a pastor or, or even the church, but really about who Jesus is. That's where I want their love to be all the days of their life. I, I want that. I so desire that. I hope that. I hope that we continue to have influence as a church. I hope today that God opens your heart and he just fills it. And he just fills that void that you so have today walking in here. I hope that you go out of here and you're like, man, the spirit of heaviness came off. God showed up, showed me things that I didn't know I even needed to know, but I needed to know that today. I hope the Vikings win. Number two, revelation. Everybody say revelation. Revelation. What is a revelation? 
So God's master plan for us is for us to have hope. The second part, and these are just three I'm picking on today, is revelation. Well, the core word of revelation is what? Reveal. He wants us to reveal something. You know, one of my favorite stories, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I read an article years ago um, talking about NFL here, was Bill Belichick. Has he ever been known for kind of cheating a little bit on occasion? Just a few times. My son loves the Patriots. Pray for him. Um, they're a good team. They're a good team. I just give him flack. Um, a few years ago, it was said, and I read this in a story, and take this with a grain of salt, but clever if it was actually true, that Bill Belichick was actually utilizing the Goodyear blimp with a camera to spy on the playbook of the opposing team. Now that is going to reveal something, okay? Now, think about this for one moment. Think about the opposing team. Whether it's real or not, doesn't matter. But think about it. You are always waiting what God wants to speak to you. You're going, God, I want you to reveal something to me. And what God wants to do is he wants to show you his playbook. Not all of it, okay? He's God, we're not. We're finite, he's infinite. But he wants to reveal some of it to us to be like, hey, do you know what your dream is? Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know what your plan is? Do you know that you can have hope? Do you know that you can get through any of the crap that you're going through because there's hope in Christ? Let me reveal that to you. And so he wants to do that. He wants to reveal that. You see, the Bible, the word of God, it is foundational, but the experience of God is vital. Okay, you've got to have the foundation. You can't be like, oh, I experienced God, but it went against what the Bible said. I feel like I'm supposed to do this, but the Bible says that. that, that time out, that doesn't work. Okay? Revelation and the word of God together are an incredible thing because you have foundation with experience. That's incredible. You can't, you can't do anything without that. There's a cost though. There's a cost on your life. There's choices you have to make. There's things you have to do differently. There's, there's, you're you're going to have to come to a place where you go, all right, God, I want to now serve you wholeheartedly. Let me explain what I mean. When I was 17, gave my life to Christ. A lot of you know that story. I didn't grow up churched. At 17, I walked in. I said yes to Jesus. Jesus accepted me for who I was, right where I'm at. You think of fishing for a moment, okay? God's, you know, calls us to fish for men. God calls us to catch them. God does not call us to clean them, okay? And so we are called to catch, not clean. And so I showed up at a church. They weren't trying to clean me. They accepted me right as I was. Dude, I had so much junk in my life. I never even told anybody about. I didn't feel guilty. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit leading me. And so at the age of 17, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Had no idea what it meant to serve him as Lord until I was 21. At the age of 21, I all of a sudden realized the junk in my life, and I'm not going to share it from the pulpit, but if you'd like to know sometime, I'll gladly share. At the age of 21, all the stuff I had done, all the stuff I had been addicted to, all the things that were going on, at the age of 21, I finally said, you know what? This sucks. Can I say that in church? Is that okay? hope it is. I think the pastor will be okay with that. I said, this, this is not the life I want. And at the age of 21, I accepted him as Lord. I said, I give you the lordship over my life. Well, what does lordship mean? Lordship is this crazy thing where we think, man, we think of slavery, right? You know, a master and he's the Lord over people. You know, well, we're past, you know, abolition times. Well, what, so what does that mean? How do we have freedom if Jesus is our Lord and our master? That's the catch 22. Jesus sees the best for me, sees the best for you, and he wants us to have freedom. That's the, se- that's the third thing here. He wants us to have freedom, and so what he's done is he says, follow me as Lord. I'll keep you on the path that I know is going to be best for you. That's how much he loves us. 
The cool thing is he doesn't guilt trip you. He doesn't shame you. He says, I'm there. I'll walk through it with you. That's the Jesus in whom we serve. Number three is freedom. Shout freedom with me. Freedom. Freedom. Somebody had a little uh, brave heart there going on. I like it. Freedom. Freedom. God wants you to have hope. He wants you to have revelation. Today, this is where we're headed, okay? This, this is where I believe God is so gonna do something in your heart right now. I just throw everything in me because I believe there are people within us right here that are not walking in freedom. I see it. My wife's in the schools. I'm in the community. We see it every day. And, and I, I just wanna be real with you today. I see people that I'm going, man, you're isolating yourself, okay? Because you're afraid. I don't know what you're afraid of. Okay? I think that's, that's the enemy attacking us, this mindset that we have. You are confined only by the walls you build yourself. Okay? You're isolating. This, what's the greatest way we isolate ourselves today? Social media. Social media. Dude, dude, like I got 1,200 friends, man. 1,200, man. Yeah. <laughs> got 1,200. You know how many of them I know? Like three. <laughs> I got people on my Facebook, I don't even know who they are, okay? No offense to them, they're probably great people. But it's kind of like this, we isolate ourselves and what happens is we think, yeah, I've got 1,200 friends. No, you don't, you have 1,200 acquaintances, okay? They don't even know you, you don't even know them, you're isolating yourself, you're staring at a computer screen the whole time. Now please get me, I, I love technology, dude, I love the new gadgets, I love all of that. I love social media, I use it all the time. But when we get to the place where we're like, that's where my life is. And everything that we do is social media based. What happens is we're like, I know about that person, but you don't really know that person. Freedom in Christ is we don't only know about Jesus, but we actually know Jesus. We get that through the revelation. We get that through hope. And then it allows us to have freedom. If that makes sense, say yeah. All right. How else do we isolate ourselves? We can get a little dicey this morning. One of the biggest secret closet sins right now that I see is pornography, man. I see it just hit the walls, man. You can, you can get, you know, pornography on anything nowadays. And, and I'm not here to guilt trip you, man. I was there back in my teenage days, okay? It's enticing. It's there. It's, it's, it's everywhere, you know? You could get it right now on your tablet where you're sitting, okay? It's, it's everywhere. And I've seen it destroy people. I've seen it be so shame and guilt-filled with people. And what happens is, is you get so wrapped up in that junk that you feel so shame-based and guilt-based that you're like, I, I can't talk to anybody. If anybody knows, they're going to think less of me. No. That's who the church is not. The church says, I don't care if you're addicted to it. I want to know so I can walk alongside of you and help you. That should be the church, nothing else. Church is not here to say, oh, you got a divorce? Oh, I'm going to pick this side. No, no, no. The church says, you got a divorce? We're going to love both of you. We're going to walk alongside of you. Church says, well, man, something happened to one of my kids. We're going to pray. We're going to walk alongside of you. The other one is in isolation to me is loneliness. I see this all the time. People get so lonely that they're so craving relationship that they end up craving it, you know, the wrong way. Number one reason to divorce in our society right now is finances. You know what number two is? Facebook. Number two is Facebook because people find an old fling because they're lonely, because they've isolated themselves from their spouse. They're not having open communication. They're not dealing with conflict the way that they should biblically. And what happens is we start going these different ways. And what God wants to do is he wants to so renew that because he wants you to have life. He wants you to have that freedom. He wants you to have that freedom. 
you know what happens? We, we get captive when we're isolated. You know what happens when we're captive? We're immobilized. We start hiding. We, we're kept from serving God the way he intended to, and we're not free. Freedom isn't like this. Freedom's like this, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In the last five weeks at this church, I have had one question asked to me more than any other question in the entire history of our church, entire history that I've done ministry. And I've done ministry like 20 years. I'm old. (laughs) I don't feel old. And it's the question of why. Why did God let that happen? I don't want this to sound arrogant, but I believe I have a reason. I believe there's a reason to to answer that question. Why does God allow bad things to happen in this world? You know, people say that's the number one question asked, and it has been in the last four weeks for me. I haven't heard it more than, than recently, and here's why. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Check this out. We'll put this up on the screen for you. Judges 21, 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Let me say, well, how does that answer it? That doesn't answer it. Hear me out for a moment. That phrase is said over 13 times in the book of Judges. Everyone did as he saw fit. They didn't understand what it meant to be free and what God had for them at that time. They didn't understand it. And what happens is when we get away from biblical principles, we start doing things on our own. We think, well, I got it figured out, man. This, it feels like freedom at the time, but then later it feels like you're shackles, man. And God wants to throw those shackles off. He wants you to have freedom today. But you have to do that by finding him as Savior and then Lord. That's what he wants. You know, in this movie, Masterminds, the guy goes down to Mexico and he's waiting for a call and he thinks, I'm free, I'm finally free. He wasn't free. He wasn't free. He ran out of money eventually. You should read the story sometime. It's crazy. It's crazy. We have to be, have some foundation. The only foundation that I know is the word of God. I was a skeptic. Today I believe that it's absolute truth. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it through the word. I've seen it through the experience. The last few weeks, I want you to stay with me. Stay with me. The last few weeks, four people indirectly, it's going to get real, real right now, okay? I'm just giving you a warning. Four people in the last four to five weeks, indirectly and directly related to our church, have tried to take their life. Four of them, I said. One succeeded. Four attempts, and one succeeded. It's the first suicide funeral I've ever done in my years. I did it two weeks ago. Some of you know who that is. What do you say there? What do you offer hope? A few weeks ago, I was helping my father-in-law up at his cabin, up by Detroit Lakes area, closing up for winterizing it. We're coming home and we stopped for lunch and we hadn't had any you know, news or media and we turned it on and saw all the people who lost their lives in Vegas. And Pastor Derek and I were there two weeks before at a pastor's conference thinking that could have been me. My family could have been without a father. Derek's wife Meg could have been without a husband. My heart broke, man. My heart just broke. Last Wednesday, 
I go on Facebook and I see this status. Hashtag me too. I see this hashtag me too. And I'm going, what is this? What is this? Hashtag me too. How many saw it in the last week? Hashtag me too. Okay. I didn't know what it was. I Googled it. I Googled it. And what it was was every woman who has been sexually molested put this as their status this week. Some within our church put it as their status and broke my heart. It just broke my heart. And I, I, wish, I wish everything in me could go back in time and, and make that not happen. Like, it just, it just, it breaks me so bad. I wish I could go back before those people took their life. And I wish I could just say, man, you're worth it. You're so worth it. I don't know why. All I know is that the answer to that question is God has not made us puppets. God doesn't force us. He gives us free will. People can do stupid things like they did in Vegas. He gives us free will. We're not puppets. You have choice to make. You can follow him as Savior or Lord. Some of you have got to get this through you today. You see, what's coming against you in your life, what's coming against you in your life is only training for where God wants to take you. So learn during that training. It's training ground. When the going, you probably heard this phrase, when the going gets tough, the what? Tough get going. I want you to forget that crap. You, we're not tough enough to do it on our own. I've tried, man. Can't do it on my own. When the going gets tough, you better find Jesus. That's the only way it's going to work, man. It's the only way. I've tried the other way. It don't work. Stop your pride by believing the lie that you can do it by yourself. How arrogant are we? I was there, man. Your life is a precious, precious gift. Hear me out. God knows everything about you. Everything. Everything. He still chose to love you. Knows everything. Those, the sin that you, you're holding on right now, that you're feeling guilty about because of this message right now, that you don't want to share, he knows it already. He already knows it. You're like, man, oh, man, a little uncomfortable today. He knows it. You're going, I, I don't feel good enough. He knows it. You're going, I don't know what my purpose is. He knows it, and he still chooses to love you. His word says this. You may not know him, but he says he knows everything about you. He says he knows when you sit down. He knows when you rise up. He's familiar with every single one of your ways. It says even the hairs on your head are numbered. For some of you, that's not as much of a challenge, but for others, it is. You were made in his image. In him, you live, you move, you have your being. You are actually his offspring. He knew you even before you were conceived. He chose you while he was planning creation. You weren't an afterthought. You were not a mistake. All your days are written for in his book. He determined the exact time of your birth. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are, he, he will love you more than your earthly father ever could have. He is the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from his hand. He will provide for you. He will meet every single one of your needs. His plan for your future has been filled with hope. It's filled with hope because he loves you with an everlasting love. You are his treasured possession. Please believe it. 
And I want to show you great and marvelous things, says the Lord. If you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. Delight in him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It is him who gave you those desires in the first place. He's able to do more than you could possibly imagine. He will be your greatest encourager, your greatest cheerleader. He's the father who comforts you in all troubles. And when you're brokenhearted, he's close to you. One day, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And him as the father loves us just as he does his son, Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We put our faith in Christ. Not Peter Pan faith. Okay, not little pixie dust and you fly for a little bit. And you're like, oh, I believed. It was Sunday. It was emotional. Woo. I'm not trying to get emotion. I'm trying to just preach. I'm trying to teach what God's word says. I'm trying to believe the truth that I've sold my life out on. And I pray, dear God, at least one person this morning receives that revelation from the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, what I'm doing is in vain. It doesn't even matter. I shouldn't even write a message then because I want, I don't, I don't do this for me. I do this because I want God to so call people to life. We are a life-giving church. That's not a cool catchphrase. That's who we are. The only one that can do that is Jesus. Some of you need him today more than you ever have. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.